Section 25. The French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc. Section 25. Chapter 5 Continued. The Military Aspect of the Revolution. We approach the military problem of 1793, therefore, with the following two fields clear before us. One in the northeast, an advance on Paris, the way to which is blocked by a quadrilateral of fortresses, Mons, Maubeg, Condé, and Valenciennes, with the subsidiary stronghold of Lesquenoy in the neighborhood of Last. Mons has been in Austrian hands since Dumouriez's retreat. Condé is just cut off from Valenciennes by Coburg's advance, but it has not fallen. Valenciennes and the neighboring Lesquinoy are still intact, and so is Maubeg. All must be reduced before the advance on Paris can begin. Behind these fortresses is a French army incapable as yet of attacking Coburg's command with any hope of success. Such is the position in the last fortnight of April. 2. Meanwhile, on the Rhine, the French garrison in Mayence is besieged. Custine, the French commander in that quarter, has fallen back on the French town of Landau and is drawing up what are known in history as the lines of Wessembourg. The accompanying sketch map explains their importance. Reposing upon the two obstacles of the rivers of the right and the mountains of the left, they fulfill precisely the same functions as a fortress and those functions we have just described. Until these lines were carried, the whole of Alsace may be regarded as a fortress, defended by the mountains and the river on two sides, and by the lines of Wessembourg on the third. A reader unacquainted with military history may ask why the obstruction was not drawn upon the line of the Prussian advance of Paris. The answer is that the presence of a force behind fortifications anywhere in the neighborhood of a line of communication, is precisely equivalent to an obstacle lying right upon those lines. For no commander can go forward along the line of his advance and leave a large undestroyed force close to one side of that line, and so situated that it can come out when he has passed and cut off his communications. For it is by communications that an army lives, especially when it is marching in hostile country. Custine, therefore, behind his lines of Wessembourg and the besieged garrison in Mayence, corresponded to the barrier of fortresses on the northeast and delayed the advance of the Prussians under Wormser and Brunswick from the Rhine, just as Condé, Valenciennes, and Marburg prevented the advance of Coburg on the northeast. Such in general was the situation upon the eastern frontier at the end of that month of April. 1793. 4. Let us first follow the development of the northern position. It will be remembered that all Europe was at war against the French. The Austrians had for allies Dutch troops, which joined them at this moment, and certain English and Hanoverian troops under the Duke of York, who also joined them. At this moment, when Coburg found himself increasing strength, a tentative French attack upon him was delivered and failed. 
Dampierre, who was in command of all this French army of the north, was killed, and Custine was sent to replace him. The army of the north did not, as perhaps it should have done, concentrate into one body to meet Coburg's threatened advance. It was perpetually attempting diversions which were useless because its strength was insufficient. Now it fainted upon the right towards Nemours, now along the seacoast on the left, and these diversions failed in their object. Before the end of the month, Coburg, to give himself elbow room, as it were, for the siege which he was preparing, compelled the main French force to retreat to a position well behind Valenciennes. It was immediately after this success of Coburg's that Custine arrived to take command of the Belgian frontier, his place on the Rhine being taken by Houchard. Custine was a very able commander, but a most unlucky one. His plan was the right one, to concentrate all the French forces, abandoning the Rhine, and so form the armies sufficiently to cope with Coburg's. The government would not meet him in this, and he devoted himself immediately to the reorganization of the army of the north alone. The month of June and half of July was taken up in that task. Meanwhile, the Austrian siege work had begun, and Condé was the first object of its attention. Upon July 10th, Condé fell. Meanwhile, Custine had been recalled to Paris, and Valenciennes was invested. Custine was succeeded by Kilmaine, a general of Irish extraction who maintained his position for but a short time, and was unable, while he maintained it, to do anything. The forces of the Allies continually increased. The number at Coburg's disposal, free from the business of besieging Valenciennes, was already larger than the force required for that purpose, and yet another 15,000 Hessian troops marched in, while the issue of that siege was still in doubt. This great advantage in numbers permitted him to get rid of the main French force that was still present in front of him, though not seriously annoying him. This force lay due southwest of Valenciennes, and was about a day's march distance. He depended for the capture of it upon his English and Hanoverian allies under the Duke of York, but that general's march failed. The distance was too much for his troops in the hot summer weather, and the French were able to retreat behind the line of the Scarp and save their army intact. The Duke of York's talents have been patriotically exaggerated in many a treatise. He always failed, and this was among the most signal of his failures. Kilmaine had hardly escaped from York, drawn up his army behind the Scarp, and put it into a position of safety when in his turn was deprived of the command, and Houchard was taken from the Rhine, just as Custine had been, and put at the head of the army of the north. Before the main French army had taken up this position of safety, Valenciennes had fallen. It fell on the 28th of July, and its fall, inevitable though it was, and as one may say, taken for granted by military opinion, was much the heaviest blow yet delivered. Nothing of importance remained to block the march of the armies of the Allies, save Maubourg. At about the same moment occurred three very important changes in the general military situation, which the reader must know if he is to understand what follows. The first was the sudden serious internal menace opposed to the Republican government. The second was the advent of Carnot to power, 
and the third was the English diversion upon Dunkirk. The serious internal menace which the government of the Republic had to face was the widespread rebellion which has been dealt with in the earlier part of this book. The action of the Paris radicals against the Girondins had raised whole districts in the provinces. Marseilles, which had shown signs of disaffection since April and had begun to raise a local reactionary force, revolted. So did Bordeaux, Nimes, and other great southern towns. Lyons had risen at the end of May and had killed the Jacobin mayor of the town of the period between the fall of Condé and that of Valenciennes. The troop which Marseilles had raised against the Republic was defeated in the field only the day before Valenciennes fell, but the great seaport was still unoccupied by the forces of the government. The Norman march upon Paris had also failed between those two dates, the fall of Condé and the fall of Valenciennes. The Norman bark had proved worse than the Norman bite, but the force was so neighboring to the capital that it took a very large place in the preoccupations of the time. The Vendean revolt, though its triumphant advance was checked before Nantes, a fortnight before the fall of Condé, was still vigorous, and the terrible reprisals against it were hardly begun. Worst of all, or at least worse perhaps after the revolt of Lyons, was the defection of Toulon. Toulon rose two days before the fall of Valenciennes, and was prepared to hand itself over, as at last it did hand itself over, to occupation by the English fleet. The end of section twenty five.